the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. All right. Well, it's good to be with you today. And uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans. And uh, you just go to the book of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just keep kind of going to the right. In the New Testament, you'll find the book of Romans. We have been walking through the book of Romans for several months now, and we've kind of made our way to chapter 6. And uh, chapter 6 is a very interesting chapter as, as Paul really kind of helps us understand as a Christian how to walk in the victory that God has provided for us. Uh, every Sunday, you hear us talk about our mission statement, guiding people of all generations and backgrounds into a thriving relationship with Christ. And there are so many of us that are just surviving. I mean, it's just, just if we can just make it through the week or make it through the day. And God, his desire for us is that we thrive. And so Paul begins to really talk about what it means to thrive and to walk in the victory that God has provided for us. Now, I want you to remember that in the first verse of chapter 6, and we're going through this chapter, and we have a tendency when we, when we look at a part of it today and another part of it next week, we kind of look, we lose the continuity of what Paul is saying. He's writing to a church in Rome. And in Rome, there are believers who come from a Jewish background, so they have kind of a religious background, and there are believers who come from a pagan background, really no religious background at all. And so Paul is talking to both of these people within the church, helping them understand and grasp what it means to really be a follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God through faith in Christ. Now, in the first part of chapter 6, Paul introduces it, having talked about the importance of the fact that we are saved by grace. First four chapters, Paul says we are sinners, all of us. In the church, out of the church, doesn't matter. We are sinners by nature because we were born into a sinful world, and we are sinners by choice. And there's nothing we can do about it. So the first four chapters of Romans is kind of bad news. We... We are sinners. There's nothing we can do about it. Being baptized, going to church, being a Baptist, none of that matters. We are sinners separated from God. And then in the latter part of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5, he turns the corner to say, okay, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. What you could not do for yourself, God has done for you. God has come and provided for you forgiveness for your sin, and he will reconcile you. He will bring you back into a relationship with God. And that happens through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul talks about the grace of God that is sufficient to cover all of our sins. And there are some who would say, but you don't know what I've done. You don't understand my past. You don't know how dark it is. You don't know how bad that things are. And Paul says, you know what? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you have done, how horrible your sin, God's grace is greater than your worst moment in history. In fact, the worse the sin, the greater the grace of God shines. 
Now, he anticipates that with that teaching, there might be a question people ask. So he goes ahead and asks that question in verse 1 of chapter 6, and he asks and answers the question. And the question logically is this. Well, okay, wait a minute. If the grace of God is greater when sin is greater, then maybe we need to sin more so that we can experience more grace. And Paul said, that is just ridiculous. No, no, okay? So he asked that question and answers it in verse 1 of chapter 6. Then he continues to develop what it means to be forgiven. And he says, and guess what? God forgives us. No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've done it, God offers forgiveness. And now when we get to verse uh, when we get to verse 15, he anticipates once again another question. Having talked about forgiveness, he anticipates another question. And I hear this a lot today. And here's the question. Paul says, I know what you're thinking. Since God will forgive you no matter what you've done, it doesn't make any difference what you do. You can go on and do whatever you want to do because you know what God's going to forgive. And so I can live any way I want to live. I know God doesn't want me to do that, but I also know he's going to forgive me. And because I know he's going to forgive me, I'm going to go ahead and do what he tells me not to do, knowing that I can receive forgiveness. And so it just makes sense that I can sin because I know God's going to forgive me. And Paul says, no, no, that is ridiculous. Now what he does in the latter part of this chapter is he tells us why that's foolish. Why is it foolish to think that because God's grace is so evident in the worst of moments, why is it foolish to think that, well, maybe we need to have more bad moments in our life to see the grace of God? Or it's ridiculous to think that because God will forgive me, I can just live any way I want to live knowing that I'm going to be forgiven by God. He says, let me, let me tell you why that is just ridiculous. Now he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He said, it's because you have been changed. You're different. You've been transformed from the inside out. The reason that's a ridiculous question is because you are different. And, and he tells us that that, that difference is that, that God has changed us. And that's what he talks about in verse 15 down through verse 23. So let's read it together. Chapter 6, Romans, beginning with verse 15. What then? Kind of looks just like chapter 6, verse 1. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under the grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of disobedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And have been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. 
For, for just as you present your members as slaves to impurity to lawless and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now your members as slaves present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. And now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, it almost sounds a little confusing when we read through it, but let's try to kind of unpack that together as Paul begins to talk about in these verses the change that happens in a very practical way. What Paul is going to do is say, let me tell you why these questions that you're asking about sin are ridiculous. And he tells us specifically in verse 17 and 18, and I think 17 and 18 are the key verses for this section. So let's go back and look at those two verses again. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now in that text, this is what he says. You were, but you became. You were something before you accepted Jesus Christ. But when you accepted Christ through faith and acknowledged that you're a sinner and ask him to forgive you of your sin, you became something else. You've been transformed. Paul's going to say later to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul says that we are a new creation. He, he uses that word to describe the transformation that takes place in us when we accept Jesus as our Savior. He said we become a new creation. Now, the word that Paul uses there for new means new in kind, nothing like it. I might say to you that I'm going to buy a new truck, and it might be new, but trucks aren't new. They've been around for a long time. I can say I bought a new truck, but trucks, they're, they're not new. What Paul is saying is we become something that never has been before. This is a new dynamic creation that God has wrought in our hearts. And then what Paul does is he shows us how that change impacts our life. And to do that, he says, let me tell you how we can walk in victory because you've been transformed. This is what it looks like in our daily life. Number one, I want you to recognize with me that it brings with it a change of ownership. In verse 16, Paul tells us that when we become a Christian, there is a change of ownership that takes place in our life. Now, I'm going to begin by telling you something that you don't really want to hear. 
and it's something that we don't like, and especially as Americans. But according to the Bible, no one is ever completely free. No one. Now, one of the things that we cherish as Americans is our freedom. And we stand to say, wait, I am free. I can do whatever I want to do. I am the captain of my own soul. I am the master of my own life. No one tells me what to do. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that's not true. The scripture says you are either a slave of sin and Satan, or you are a slave, servant, of righteousness and God. That we each have only one master, but all of us have a master. And what he says happens when we become a child of God is that we get a new master. Now we love to think that we are free to do whatever we want to do, but none of us are truly free. Now I think the reason we struggle and understanding that is because when Paul says that we are slaves to sin, um, it, that's hard for us to, 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 to wrap our mind around. And I think it's because we have a misunderstanding of what he means when he says we're a slave to sin. Some of us would say, well, I, I know that, there, that I sin. I get that. But, but I'm not like an addict. There are not certain things that I'm so addicted to that I cannot gain control over. And, 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 and sometimes even people that are addicts won't admit it, right? I can quit at any moment. I don't, I don't have to do what I'm doing. And, and so for us to think that we are slaves to sin and that God would say that I'm a slave to sin doesn't make any sense. And the reason it doesn't is because I think many of us have a misunderstanding of what he's talking about here. You see, many of us think that Satan's number one job in this world is to tempt you and make you sin. Satan's job is to, his desire is to make you sin because if he makes you sin, you are a sinner, right? But what did we discover in the first four chapters of the book of Romans? We discovered that you, you, you do, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. We discovered that that we are sinners by nature and by choice. I am born into a sinful world, therefore I'm a sinner. So what I want you to understand, Satan didn't have to do anything to make me a sinner. I'm already a sinner. So he doesn't tempt me to sin so that I can be a sinner. So what is it then that he does? Why is it that he tempts me with sin? Well, Paul says it later on. He says that, that what Satan does is that he blinds us to the truth of the gospel. What Satan does in tempting us to sin is to keep us away from the truth of the gospel. So if a person has never been saved, Paul said they have been blinded by the enemy. 
They do not recognize that they are a sinner. They will not recognize that God is sovereign. They will not recognize that the Bible is truth. And what Satan does is he constantly works in the life of a person who has never accepted Jesus as Savior. He constantly works in their life to keep them blind to the truth so that they don't open their heart to the reality of the truth. And they become a slave to sin and a slave to Satan and a slave to self because I refuse to see the truth of the gospel. And he does that in so many ways. Sometimes he, he causes us to doubt the truth of God's word. It's amazing to me how we're tempted to doubt. The, I've been a pastor for over 40 years and the thing that amazes me is that people who don't accept Jesus as their savior, people that are, that, that are atheists or people that, you know, I just don't know that I believe the Bible. You, the problem is you apply a scrutiny to the word of God that you apply to no other area of your life. You demand answers of scripture that you demand in no other area of your life. Oh, I will never believe that unless I have absolute, unless I understand it, unless I know it to be true. Let, let me just say this. There's probably only a handful in this room that understand how a microwave oven works. Probably just a few of you that know how that thing works. What happens in there when you push the buttons? But because you don't understand, it doesn't keep you from putting the frozen chicken in there and hitting defrost, right? And because you don't understand what's going on, doesn't keep you from throwing the popcorn in there and hitting the popcorn button. It doesn't keep you from taking the leftovers and putting it in there and, and, and heating it up. And, and all of a sudden, I don't need that kind of scrutiny in any other area. Oh, but when it comes to God, I got to have all. Why? Because Satan has blinded us to the truth. He wants to keep us oblivious to the truth. He doesn't want us to confront the truth of the gospel because if we confront the truth of the gospel, what's going to happen? I'm going to recognize, you're right, I'm a sinner. You're right, I can't do anything about it. And you're right, you came and lived and died that I might be forgiven. And if I hear the gospel and understand it, I'm going to respond to it. And so to be a slave to sin is to live a life blind to the truth of the gospel. And that's what Satan tries to do. Slavery of sin doesn't make us sinners. It prevents me from believing the gospel. But when I'm saved, for those of you that are believers, and that's what Paul's talking about here, to those of you that have accepted Jesus as your Savior, this is what he says. When you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you realize you were a sinner and you trusted him and you ask him to forgive you of your sin. It did not eliminate slavery. It just gave you a new master. All of a sudden, Paul said, we have a new master. We are now free not to sin. Why? Because I have a new master. So the real question that we've got to ask is this, who do I belong to? Who owns my life? Who dictates to you what you are to do? Is the habit and pattern of your life to serve God and is your life set free from sin? Or do you serve self 
and Satan. And to serve Satan simply means that I do what he desires me to do. And what is it that he desires me to do? He desires me to ignore the things of God. Satan is not trying to lead you into some horrible life. He's just simply saying, I don't want you to consider the truth of the gospel. I don't want you to give your life to Jesus. I don't want you to experience the forgiveness that he offers. And so to live according to the desires of Satan is to turn my back on the truth of Scripture. So Paul says, hey, the reason this question about sin is so ridiculous is because God's changed you. You don't don't even think about sin the way you once did. You're changed from the inside out. You got a new master. But secondly, not only does he say that we, we experience that change because of ownership, he says there's a change in obedience in verse 17. There's a change in obedience. It says this, but God be thanked that you were servants of sin but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were committed. Another way of translating that is, is that form of doctrine that was delivered to you, that was given to you, that you were committed to, that was, that was given to you. It's a change that happens as a result of obedience. This change that we've experienced as believers was brought about by obedience. That's how we became a believer. That's how we became a Christian, right? How do we become a Christian? Well, we obeyed from the heart, as Paul is saying here. We obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, which is that the gospel that we were delivered to. This is what I think may may help us understand it. What Paul is saying is the reason we're saved is because God takes us at some point in our life and he delivers us to the gospel. And you know what? That may actually be today for some of you. You think you came here today because somebody invited you to come. You think that you just chose randomly to get up and come to church here today. You just thought, you know, let's try that one out. We hadn't been there. You you think that, that all kinds of reasons brought you here, but the truth is it may be that today God has delivered you to confront the truth of the gospel, that he loves you, that you are a sinner, that you're separated from him. And even though you're good and moral, you'll never be good enough to go to heaven. You're a sinner separated from God. And church membership and baptism is not going to save you. You have to come to a place where you turn from your sin and say, God, forgive me. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I believe you came and lived and died and rose again. And I believe from the heart that gospel that I was delivered to. So what happens is today God may have delivered you here to the truth of the gospel so that you can respond. And I love that in this passage of Scripture he says that we are to obey. He doesn't say believe. He says obey. Now I like that because believing is active, isn't it? 
If we believe, we act on it. It's obedience. Later, Paul will say, if, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There, there is an act of the will to accept and receive Christ. And, and then he says this, believing is active, and he, and he uses the word form. He said he delivers us over to he delivers us over to the form of teaching to which you were committed, the form of teaching. Um, the, the word form really means mold. When I grew up, my mom had a hobby, and what she loved to do was ceramics. I don't know if any of you ever built a ceramic pot or bowl or something like that but my mom really for a period of time got into ceramics man she was all about building stuff we had stuff all over the place that mom had had made and created and um, and, and ceramics is fascinating it really is there, there's a mold and if you're going to build a bowl there's a mold of that bowl and you can open it up and see the, the the beauty etched in that mold of that outline and you put these two pieces together and and they put rubber bands around it and you take this mud that they refer to as slip and and you would take this mud and you would pour it into that mold and you kind of shake it around get the bubbles out of it and let it go and and and, and when it dries what happens is that mud takes on the form of the mold. And after it dries, you kind of take the rubber bands off and you kind of break apart the mold, and there you're left with this, with this clay vessel that you begin to work on, and you put it in a kiln and, and fire it and all those kinds of things. But the word Paul uses there, form, is mold. And what he's saying is this. We are delivered over to the gospel, the form of the gospel, and our exposure to it changes who we are. We, just like that mud submits to the mole, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we submit our life to the truth of God's word. And our life forms into the likeness of God's word. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying in the text before us. That we submit to it. I obey it. I allow it to shape my life. And guess what happens when I allow the word of God to shape my life? What does it make me look like? What does it shape me into? As I submit my life to the scriptures, it molds me into the likeness of Jesus. Paul's going to say later on in the book of Galatians, hey, the fruit of this spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. All of those things, as you look at them, are really who Jesus is, right? I mean, when you look at the life of Jesus, he just 
He just was love. He just loved people where they were. They didn't have to earn it. Didn't make any difference who they were, whether they were the dreg of society in the eyes of people or the highest of the high. Jesus just loved them all. And he had joy that was not connected to the things around him. That's what drew people to him, that there was something deep within him that had contentment and satisfaction that we long for. And so when we look at Jesus, we see love and joy and peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Not only did he have peace, but he just kind of gave peace to anybody that was around him. And you felt at peace when you were near him. Love, joy, peace, patience. Well, look at how he dealt with the disciples. <laughs> he was so patient. So many times, oh my goodness, how is it that you have ears and can't hear? How is it that you have eyes and can't see? Patient, gentle, in the handling of people who were lepers and the people who were downcast and forgotten by society. I love the fact that Jesus often would touch them and bring healing. Gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, all of those things that are a part of Jesus become a part of us. And when God transforms us, we, we just kind of become like that. We just kind of become like him. That's the reason we're called Christians. Do you understand that the, the term Christian in the very beginning was a term of derision? It was, it was people that were not believers in Jesus trying to describe those people who were followers of Jesus. They're, I don't know how to describe them. They're just different the way they think, the way they live, the way they act, the things they do. They're, they're Christ followers. They're, they're, they're Christians because it changes us. It shapes us. So Paul says, hey, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're changed because you got a new master. You changed because of a obedience to the truth of the gospel, the truth of scripture. And then finally, he says, there's a change that shows. It's a change that is obvious. In verse 21, he talks about that fruit. But when you were, verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you now are ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. He, he literally is referring to the, the fruit of our life before. Why would he talk about that? I, I think it's because of this. I'm no horticulturalist, and I don't know a lot about trees. And, but I do know this. Fruit's pretty obvious. If, uh, if, if you got an apple tree and it grows an apple, I can probably tell you it's an apple tree because I know what an apple looks like. And uh, if you got a pear tree in your backyard and it has pears on it, I can probably tell you that's a pear tree. Um, if you got a plum tree, I, I might not be able to recognize it until the fruit shows up. But when the fruit shows up, I'm, I'm probably going to be able to tell you that's, that's, that's a plum tree. That's a persimmon tree. How do I know that? Because fruit's pretty obvious. I think ultimately, Paul is saying, 
The reason the issue of sin is not an issue for you anymore is because you were transformed from the inside out. You don't live the way you once lived. The things that one time mattered to you no longer matter to you now. You were changed, and that's a change that shows. Fruit is the evidence that tells who we are. The bottom line is that fruit identifies us. And it identifies our master. And this is what I've discovered. You can know a person's master by just watching who they obey. It doesn't make any difference what they say. It doesn't make any difference that they've got all the answers to everything. Just, just, just watch who they obey. Who do they listen to? Who do they respond to? Does the truth of the gospel mean enough that we live our life based on the principles that are here? That tells me something. And you're not going to think about this too. Do you understand that's even how you can tell a false teacher? You can't tell a false teacher by their teaching. Some of them are really good. They are deceiving. And sometimes false teachers can teach the truth. You know how you can tell a false teacher? By their life. By the way they live. And so Paul is saying, God has changed you. Live like it. Walk in the victory that he's provided for you. You're no longer a slave to sin. Why? Because we got a new master. And we follow his direction, his insight, his leading. And he leads us into victory. And as we follow his leading, he's going to mold us into the image of Jesus. And we're going to walk in the victory that he provides. Well, it might be that you're here today. And you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior. And though this passage of Scripture is really written to Christians, Paul talked about you too. (laughs) When he says that what God does is delivers us to the truth of the gospel. And it may be the day that God's brought you here for that one reason. To confront the reality of your need for Jesus. And today, the only option available to you is, will I obey that from the heart, or will I reject it? And that's your decision. Maybe you're here as a Christian today, and boy, these words are sobering for us as followers of Christ, aren't they? Because so many times, we are lulled back into believing that we are a slave to sin, and we live as though we're not paying attention to what God says. And I think this is a call for us to return to the victory that God's called us to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to respond to it. And I know that there may be some here, some listening that have never accepted you as Savior. And they've got all kinds of reasons why. But I pray that you will help them understand that one thing Satan does is tries to keep us from seeing the truth. And today you've shown the truth, and we just need to listen, look at it, 
And when we see the truth, we know that we need to respond. And I pray that those listening will respond in obedience and say, yes, I confess. That means to agree with you. What you say about me is true. I'm a sinner separated from you. I can't save myself. But I believe, Jesus, you came and lived and died and rose again. And you'll forgive me if I ask. And so I ask you, forgive me, come into my life. I give you my life. I want you to be my master. And Father, if someone's prayed that prayer today, I know you've heard that. And I pray that today would be the beginning of their new walk with you. And for those of us in this room who are not walking as you've called us to, that we would walk in the victory you've provided. In Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.